Dadhood. Modern Dadhood Podcast. Hello, Mark. Adam, it's great to see you, my friend. Back at you. We're recording on a Friday night. Do you like recording in evenings better or in mornings better? Oh, man. I kind of like recording at night. It's nice. I come down here in my garage, kick back, and it's kind of nice. Dad time. Yeah. This is Modern Dadhood. It's an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. You're right. And my name is Mark Jaggett, and I am a dad of twin boy toddlers. And my name's Adam Flaherty, and I'm a father of two daughters, six and three. Now, we're not experts. You're not. But we do love to <laughs> we do love to hang out and talk dad stuff and share stories and gain new perspectives through conversations with our dad guests, mm. including today's guest. Oh, I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about all of them, but this one was, I don't know, pretty close to the heart, really. It's a special one. Uh, the name Emilio Delgado may not actually, you know, immediately ring a bell for our listeners, but I know the name Luis will hit home for a lot of people. Luis, who could be found on Sesame Street in the Fix-It shop. That's right. You know, nostalgia is such a big part of our show and of our brand and this guy epitomizes nostalgia for a lot of us and uh we'll catch up with emilio shortly mark you and i are um i consider us extremely lucky that we both grew up with great dads in the picture mm. but even having present and involved parents there's always room for other positive role models who shape our character and, you know, might even have shaped who we are as dads now. Oh yeah. For example, like my dad is an incredible guy. He's tough as nails. He is so selfless. Um, a lot of people look up to him as a role model. I feel like I'm like him in a lot of ways when it comes to how I, you know, am a dad to my girls, but I also spent a lot of time as a kid with one of my best friends Ted and his family, uh, who are neighbors a couple of houses down, and his dad would take us on just tons of adventures, camping. You know, they had an amazing boat that we got to spend a lot of time on, um, just these day trips to cool places, you know, arcades, outdoor stuff, restaurants. And Ted's dad was a huge personality and like a very different person and a very different father than than my dad for better or worse. And I spent so much time with them that they were like a second family to me. And I certainly like recognize ways that my personality was influenced by those experiences with Ted and his dad too. And then there were people like Mr. Rogers, for example, you know, figures on television that we spent a lot of time with growing up. I wonder for you, were there any public figures Hmm. like Mr. Rogers growing up who sort of you looked up to as a father figure or just felt like you could trust? Well, first of all, there's Tim, the tool man, Taylor. Oh, hell yeah. So (laughs) God, that was perfect. I didn't even rehearse it. That was, that was incredible. When I think way back to young childhood, like when I would have been watching, say, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or Sesame Street, 
I watched a lot of Nickelodeon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really pick anybody out in particular from like that time. How about like LeVar Burton? Did you watch Reading Rainbow growing up? I did watch I did watch Reading Rainbow. Yeah. But I do definitely think of when I think of a, a little bit later on in my life, um, when I was like maybe like a young teen or like preteen. And I watched a lot of those Thursday night or Friday night shows. those like family sitcoms. And they all kind of had the dad character that had a slightly different characteristics. You know, I mean, I oh, joke. You're going to say Patrick Duffy, aren't you? <laughs> Patrick Duffy, man. Man, Those smiling eyes. A man's man, a hardworking man. <laughs> um, I just, I loved shows like that. And I know that they're, they weren't realistic and they all had, you know, the specific character, like Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince. From Fresh Prince was kind of like that type of person for me, I think. I don't know. It was just like no bullshit, super smart guy. You had to do things the right way. And I don't know, I guess maybe too, cause he was like a judge. So it had some of that, like really like authority to him. I think I really did like Tim, the tool man Taylor a lot because probably because my dad was a woodworker, like a, as, as a hobby in some way, I just kind of like identified with that. Uh, cause it was really in a lot of ways, similar to my own dad. It's funny. I even think of like James Taylor in that way, Hmm. you know, he feels like your uncle, you know, this accessible person that, you know, you've spent so much time with their musical catalog that you feel like, you know, them on a personal level and that there's no way that somebody like James Taylor could be any different than you would expect him to be, Yeah, you know? And that's, I think like the trust thing that I'm talking about. And it's funny that you talk about your family gathering around to, watch a show when it came on at a certain time. It makes me think of how TV used to be this communal Mm. activity. It was sort of the centerpiece of the living room and your family gathered together to watch something and how now media consumption is just feels much more private and like an individual activity. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, you can watch it on your phone. Mm -hmm. You can watch it on a tablet. You can take those things anywhere you want and watch whatever you want. And I think that that can become really dangerous when you're a parent, depending on the level of investment and attention you have in what your kid is doing with those devices. Yeah. You know, we use the TV. We try to be pretty strategic about television just in general. And I always feel a little bit like, I don't want, I don't want to just leave them alone with that thing. But it's a totally different feeling if I'm sitting there with them and I kind of enjoy it. And maybe, you know, hearing you and just having this conversation makes me kind of think maybe the reason why I like that is because that's often how I watched TV growing up. It's Thursday night, 7 p.m. Let's sit down and watch that rock block of, you know, <laughs> of, of sitcoms um, and, mm-hmm. and TGIF, you know, the next night. Right. And I kind of like that. I kind of like sitting and watching Storybots on Netflix is a favorite. And then we have something to talk about after we watch the show. So it becomes a much more interactive thing and brings the characters into reality so that we can actually have a conversation, learn, learn from them. Well, our guest today is someone that I spent so much time watching and learning from as a kid on Sesame street. And I think that he is someone that you could just watch as a kid and just trust. And, you know, it's almost like the character of Luis was 
really a neighbor or a family friend. Um, you know, I think that the same goes for other characters on Sesame Street. Gordon, you know, Bob, Susan, Maria, Gina, um, so many of mm-hmm. them. But there's just something about Emilio Delgado. And it's probably, you know, the who he is as a person and what he brought to the character of Luis that just makes him feel like a friend, you know, and I'm sure he had the same effect on kids around the world. Emilio was so kind to join us recently from his home in New York city to chat about playing a role model for decades on Sesame street and simultaneously being a dad and stepdad off camera. And so without further ado, here is our conversation with Emilio Delgado. Hi, Emilio. How are you doing? Hi, how are you? Good morning to all of you. Hello there. All the dads out there. And hello from everybody at Sesame Street. How is life in Manhattan right now? Uh, It's uh, real slow in Manhattan. Uh, Not the Manhattan that I knew when I first got here, let me tell you. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Modern Dadhood. Your portfolio of work in, in television and in music is very robust. You've done a lot, but for us, a big part of our show, Modern Dadhood, revolves around nostalgia. And for me personally, I grew up on Sesame Street watching people like yourself, Bob McGrath, Maria, played by Sonia Manzano, you know, Gordon and Susan. And I would imagine that many of our listeners are probably in the same boat in terms of growing up watching you on television. Uh So first off, I hope you aren't offended that much of our conversation is structured around your time on Sesame Street. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, it was a big part of my life. So there's so much we could talk about, but obviously the subject matter of our show is fatherhood. And I'll start off by asking you, was there a time during your tenure on Sesame Street where you began to recognize the extent to which you were a positive male role model and perhaps even a father figure to so many kids watching? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. Of course, when uh, when I first started out on the show, I was a young actor, you know, I had a job and I was out there you know, doing what I know how to do, uh, acting and singing and doing comedy or whatever it was. So I was a very happy uh, actor, individual, working uh, in, a, uh, in a national show, you know. It wasn't until a few years later that I started to realize uh, how important it was to a lot of people. And, and I think probably when it really hit me was later on, like maybe 20 years in, when I started out uh, going out uh, into the hinterland all over the United States doing live shows. And it was only then that I realized the full import of what we had been doing on Sesame Street and how we had been interpreted and received. I mean, because we were literally in everybody's living room for uh, how long, right? So we really became part of families. And uh, and then there were some some very you know nice stories, beautiful stories, or some very sad stories, you know, latchkey kids growing up with this thing, you know. So it was uh, a lot of different stories that came at us. And that's when I think we began to realize the import of what we had been doing on the show. It was uh, beyond just uh, teaching the one, two, three and the ABC, you know. Your wife, Carol, actually shared with me that I know you, you uh, in non-pandemic times, you do attend a lot of live events and that people will come up to you. And maybe these are some of the same latchkey kids who you have described or 
you know, just children who who didn't have those, you know, strong parental roles in their families. But people will come up to you and say, Emilio, you were the best thing about my childhood. How does that feel? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, uh, like I say, there's a lot of sad stories out there and, and there's beautiful stories as well. But to, to just have people tell you their story about how it affected them, you know, uh, it, it's very satisfying. Not only not only as an actor, but as a human being myself, you know. Emilio, were there times on the set of Sesame Street where you felt that sort of paternal relationship to any of the younger actors that were on the show? Or, or could you tell that maybe they felt that? Yeah, well, well, you know, of course, when I first started the show, we were the younger actors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was not far back. <laughs> you know? But later on, of course, there were other people that came on the show that were younger than we were, uh, Muppeteers, who had grown up with the show as children themselves. So they were very appreciative of the fact that there we were, and there they were, working with people that had actually influenced them, you know. So, yeah, uh, it, it was all very satisfying. I wonder if we can shift a little bit and talk about your children. Who are they? Uh, yeah. when, when were they born? And, and what are they What are they up to these days? Yeah. Well, you know, I'll start by saying that, uh, you know, I grew up uh, myself uh, in, in, a, in an extended family of, uh, you know, we all lived in the same house. This is on the Mexican side of the border. I was born in California, but we had family on both sides of the border of U.S. and Baja, California. And uh, in, in growing up, my father was absent. Uh, he was somewhere. Uh, but of course, I grew up with my with my mother's family and uncles and aunts and cousins and grandfather and grandmother. And uh, so that extended family was very important to me. It left a very, very important imprint on my life and how I grew up and how I think of family. And so I grew up in this, in this extended family. And as I grew up, I, I never had uh, any any kind of uh, psychological detriment. I didn't never felt anything like that in my life. When I grew up and, and became uh, became a man and then got married and had a had a family for the first time, I, I, it was an amazing thing. Uh, it was. All of that experience of being a, a father and a husband uh, was concurrent with, with beginning a, a career. So it was all part of the same thing, uh, but it was an amazing thing to me. My first marriage uh, was when my son, Aram, was born. You know, as a father, I was stumbling around. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> this yeah. little thing, you know, but, uh, but, but you live and learn, you know, you live and learn and, and the basic thing of everything is that love really takes care of everything you know all that love you just love and of course you know he's like the original uh, Sesame Streeter I mean he was in the perfect age for Sesame Street and he grew up watching me and watching Sesame Street uh, he was the number one fan you know that I had all the, the whole time now Aram appeared on a couple of episodes of Sesame Street is that right this is, yeah, in, in his younger years, when he was uh, maybe, I don't know, five or six years old, I think he was on the show several times, very, very briefly, you know, and, and I don't think he ever said any lines, but he was, he was there and he was part of it. Although I think at the time he was a little on the shy side, but that was normal for kids, you know, when you put him on the, on the set, 
and there's all these lights and all these, mm-hmm. you know, these gigantic creatures coming at you like Big Bird and Snuffle Up, I guess. I mean, it's like, you know, it can be intimidating, you know, uh, and, and all these, these Muppets, you know, popping up and doing all this stuff. So, but yeah, you know, I tried to uh, incorporate him into what I was doing so that he had a feeling of being a part of it, you know. He's uh, a 50-year-old man now. Wow, I can't believe that. My, my son, Aram, is 50 years old with a family of his own, you know. And um, our grandson, uh, Eladio, is uh, going on six, I think. Oh, my wow. wow. Time flies. So that, that was uh, my first experience as a father and as a husband. And, and then uh, later on, uh, you know, uh, there was another marriage in which I inherited several uh, stepchildren, two sons that, that I can't really say that, that I brought them up because when I came into their life, uh, they were already beginning to be teenagers. So they were on their way to, you know, uh, being their own human beings. But I think there were many aspects of my life that may have rubbed off on them. And then later, of course, now with uh, when uh, Carol, my present wife and I got married 30 years ago, along with with my sweet wife, Carol, came uh, her daughter, uh, Lauren, who is my adopted daughter now. And uh, she's 35 years old. My gosh. So I had the experience of of really bringing up child because when I first met Lauren our daughter she was four four and a half years old and uh, you know came into my life fully and by the time she was five so from five until the present day I'd been her dad you know so that has been a beautiful experience of, of learning for me you know how to be a husband and a father and a provider and a teacher and whatever you know yeah so Lauren would have come into your life around the time we were watching Sesame Street growing up and very heavily invested in the Muppets. How did suddenly having Luis from Sesame Street as her dad affect Lauren growing up through school? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I can imagine that when she was growing up, I mean, she didn't go around with a megaphone saying that she was my father, I don't think. Because, uh, you know, she was trying to live her life growing up, you know, and, and dealing with all of the facets of, of childhood and school and friendship and all of that stuff. But I think uh, in the long run, she's, uh, and from what I know and what she tells me, she's always been very proud of, of me and, uh, you know, being her father and uh, and so, yeah, she, she's very proud of that. And I feel it from her. Can you recall any particular fatherhood challenges that arose from what I'm, I'm guessing was a very time intensive career for you? Uh, yeah, of, of course, you know, being um, being on the show required of me to be in New York. We were in studio for maybe four or five months out of the year. Uh, and we did enough material for 131 hour shows. Wow! I mean, that was a lot of material to do way back then when the show the show was an hour. So we we were in studio for many many months. Initially, of course, you know, I was from Los Angeles, and uh, with uh, with my first wife and and uh, my son, we had moved to New York. And it was cultural shock for us because we were from the West and here was New York City, fast and furious, and we just couldn't adjust. So uh, after two years, we just 
went back to Los Angeles. <laughs> and then I commuted for, for a few years back and forth, which was a strain on the family because, you know, we you know, either I had to be here by myself or we had to travel back and forth and then the schooling and all that for Aram. Uh, and the same thing with, with later with Lauren, uh, our daughter. So, yeah, that, that was a little bit difficult being away from the family for months at a time. But uh, Carol and I finally got it together. And uh, we just said, that's it. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to be together. So that's when we, everywhere we moved, whether we moved to Los Angeles or we moved to New York, we were always together. So that, that fixed that for everybody. You know? What was it like raising a son off camera at the same time that you were working with a group of children, you know, on set, creating content designed for children on camera? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, for me, I mean, my personal life was like just part of the whole thing. I mean, I was living my life and incorporating that into whatever I was doing professionally. Uh, everybody had that that same mentality, that same feeling of family, you know. And when we when we all came together socially, it was it was like a, this big extended family coming together. Yeah, I wonder if you could talk just a little bit more about about that camaraderie among the the cast and crew. I mean, I I feel like I've heard you say the word family a few times. Yeah. Would you use that word when you talk about the cast and crew? Uh, absolutely, yes. I mean, uh, I think that we we turned into a, an extended family. You know, I mean, you, you can imagine after uh, fifty years. Not only on, on, on the show itself as the characters, but off the show, you know, becoming friends and, and uh, getting to know and love each other and, and being around each other. And not only, not only the, uh, the actors on the show, but with a lot of the people that were involved in the production of it, Muppeteers and people in production. Uh, it was this, this gigantic, beautiful family that we all knew that we were doing something that really meant something that was really good for everyone, you know. I have this image in my head of you and Bob and Roscoe walking onto set and, you know, the, the new cast members jaws must just drop when they, when they see you, you're all legendary. (laughs) So I'm going to step back really quick to something that you mentioned earlier. You talked about being part of a big extended family and that's, that's how you grew up with a lot of, uh, I think you say aunts, uncles, grandparents around. Can you talk about what about that experience did you bring with you into the character of Luis? Yes. Yeah, so, well, I think that was ingrained in me, being part of a family and, and being around people. And, and uh, I do think that uh, one of the important things about Luis and Maria uh, being uh, on the show, for the first time on American television, you saw a couple of Latinos being actual people on the show you know uh they were just these these people that were a part of the community they had their own business they had a family you know it was like showing latinos and latinas as real human beings which was a thing that uh, that was sort of absent in american media for many years people would just come up to us and say Oh, you're the first ones that we've seen that actually look and sound like us, you know. So that aspect of American life was was never shown, really, until Luis and Maria came on the show. And I think that was an important aspect of Sesame Street, showing Latinos in, in, a, in a positive aspect. 
Of course. I mean, and where it was intended to represent this sort of inner city, you know, neighborhood, of course, you need to show diversity. It just seems like such a no brainer. And so, uh, you know, I need to applaud them for introducing that when when they did and then maintaining that for all of these decades. It was an amazing thing when when this came on, and and, uh, and of course with the uh, with the Latino aspect into it of, of introducing a different language, you know, that people speak another language other than English. Oh my gosh, yes! What is that? You know, uno dos tres. You know, wow, one two three. Yeah, and kids were very proud of learning another language. It expanded their mind. It expanded their world. Many of the people that were involved in in the writing at that time weren't Spanish speakers or anything like that. But uh, but we we Sonia and I incorporated Spanish into the script and kind of threw it in. So one day I'm in the fix it shop and Big Bird walks in and. Out of nowhere, I just said, Bajaro. <laughs> Amazing. Greeting him, right? We did, we did the short bit. And then, uh, and then John Stone, the, the, the director, producer, uh, asked me afterward. He said, uh, after we, we take the first take on it, and he said, uh, what does that mean, uh, Bajaro mm. or whatever it was that you said? He said, oh, Bajaro. That means bird. He says, oh, Bajaro, Bajaro. Okay. Use, use that. So from then on, every time I saw Big Bird, I say, hey, pajaro. Yeah. And I think that's what Sesame Street was. And in my estimation was that Sesame Street, you know, when they were watching that, that television screen, I always imagined it for those kids as a window into the whole world out there. It was their window into the world. I kind of feel like it would be a little bit of a missed opportunity, especially when talking about cast and crew and all of the other folks that were involved with the, with the creation of Sesame street, not to ask you about Jim Henson. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like working with Jim Henson and knowing him personally? It was an amazing thing. I mean, uh, every day that we were in the studio, uh, we watched the master at work uh, he, he was absolutely a, an incredible human being, uh, an incredible performer, extraordinary creative person in every respect, you know. And, and uh, of course, you know his his leaving us was 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 a blow that was uh, extraordinary to every each and every one of us. But but even so, after all these years of him being gone, uh, it, it's as if he's never left because he left. Which it, such a trace of himself and everything that we do and everything that we show because uh, like I say, such an extraordinary creative person. And I, I just think of him as a wizard. I mean, he's out there somewhere in some dimension still creating, you know, beautiful things. And uh, I always think of him that the, that maybe the third dimension was not big enough for him. (laughs) He's he's gone on to bigger and better things, but he left us his legacy of that that uh, that creativity. Emilio Delgado, you are a father, an adoptive father, a stepfather, a grandfather, and a father figure to so many young people around the world. And on top of it all, you're a total class act. Thank you sincerely for inspiring us for all these years. And thanks for your time today for coming to chat about fatherhood with us on Modern Dadhood. Appreciate it so much, Emilio. You bet. Mark and Adam, thank you very much. 
I do believe it's time for another installment of... Did I just say that out loud? You really are like Bill Curtis. I'm always ready for it. Whenever I need to be an over-the-top announcer, I'm just always ready for it. I do have a... Did I just say that out loud? And I wonder if this isn't more of a subcategory, actually. Is this a, did I just have to say that out loud? So slight nuance there. Do you want to revise the title? The announcer or anything? How about this? And now, for the, and now, for a, no. (laughs) (laughs) And now, for the very first installment of... Did I just have to say that out loud? Also known as really? Yeah. Really? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say it and I'm going to see if you can come even close to guessing the scenario. So here's what I said. I said it very, very quickly as I lunged towards my kids. Okay. Okay. I said, no, no, don't do that. It presents some problems we're not familiar with. (laughs) which is like, it was the most together I've ever been in one of these moments. That's something that you would say to your employer or to like a college professor or like a doctor. I became, this is maybe the only hint that I'll give you. As the words were coming out of my mouth, I was really conscious of what I was saying. I didn't want to make them uncomfortable, but I definitely wanted them to stop what they were doing. In like a fraction of a second, your brain adjusted from, oh, don't do that. You are about to lop your penis off to (laughs) really not that far off (laughs) (laughs) to to, this is going to pose a problem. We are not prepared to deal with. And that's, that's, that's really what I was saying was like, whatever's going to come out of this situation. I don't know if I have the tools necessary to deal with it. So let's just stop (laughs) now. But you were in the right bodily vicinity. Oh, I think I got it. Okay. It has to do with a vacuum cleaner. Ooh. So you or Jamie were vacuuming the living room floor and one of the twins picked up the vacuum, Mm -hmm. wanted to see what it was like to clean the floor Mm -hmm. and just happened to slide the pants down. (laughs) Just happened to curious, just happened to carefully remove his pants. And you didn't notice that until After you've finished adding the half and half into your coffee and stirring it and (laughs) tapping the spoon on the rim. And then you looked over and saw the pants down and out of your mouth came that statement. The sentence. You're close, but that's it didn't have anything to do with the vacuum. (laughs) Okay, let's have it. Okay, it was hot. Let's just get that straight. (laughs) We were outside playing. There was a little hose action over there, a little splashy table action over here. And a little sandbox action over here. And so I had two fairly wet children who we had disrobed completely because this is the country. This is this is New Hampshire. No one's around. Kids were just who's going to see Brendan across the street. Who's going to see? So we had two free roaming naked children running in the backyard. Jamie and I were just sitting there. We each, we had each cracked a beer. We had our little plastic Adirondack chairs that we were lounging in and we were having a good time. We were just talking with each other because the the boys were playing so nicely. It's rare and and sounds very idyllic. It was so idyllic and it is absolutely rare. I turn and I look 
and I see one of my kids has a, a shovel, a scoop from the sandbox filled with sand, and he's sitting, and my other son is standing next to him, like sort of thrusting his his <laughs> hips forward. And the uh, the son with the scoop of sand was getting ready to pour it like right on the other one's penis, and that was that was yeah. that, they were they were working together to do this. Oh, teamwork! Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't. I can't even think about that kind of pain. That's what I'm saying. And so I sprung from my chair and lunged forward to kind of grab the shovel, sort of smack grab the shovel. And I yelled, you know, no, no, don't do that. That presents some problems we're not familiar with because I didn't want to freak them out. So it was kind of this fine line of like, I don't want them to be, have some weird memory of like (laughs) their father, like attacking them and yelling at them while they're naked in the backyard. But I definitely didn't want, I didn't want a scoop of sand going onto one of my son's penises. Well, well played. I felt pretty good after. Sometimes when you're when you snap into that sort of emergency fight or flight thing, your brain works fast. I know how loud my kids can scream. I didn't I didn't need that in my life. I I love it. I think that was a great one. Thanks, man. Great. Did I just have to say that out loud? Great interview. Great episode. If we don't say so ourselves. Dads, you can find us at the all new or at least semi new moderndadhood.com where you can sign up for our mailing list while you're there to get new episode alerts and more. Uh, you can also find Modern Dadhood on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Please consider giving us a quick rating and a review. That is a really wonderful way to support us. You know what else you could do? You could drop us a note at hey, H-E-Y, at moderndadhood.com. We'd all, we'd love that. Big thank you to Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Albee for our music. And to you, Pete Morse, at Red Vault Audio, for pressing all the buttons, making us sound real good. Also, big thanks to Joe at About Artists and to Emilio Delgado himself. And, of course, thank you to you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.